Welcome back to Factory Sealed. It is February 5th, 2023. My name is Eric Peterson. Joining me today, Mr. Zach Foley. Why, hello there, young lady. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm just, just dandy. <laughs> it's been a hell of a week, kids. <laughs> it has been a hell of a month. It's been a hell of a year. Let's just say it's been shit since the pandemic started. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, hey, did you hear that in May... It's officially going to be classified as over. The public oh. health emergency will be declared over. In just over two years and two presidents. That's fantastic, I find. <laughs> it's great. It's awesome. You know, I have no great ir- faith in our system. <laughs> no no irreparable damage whatsoever. No, 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 no. Not no. hundreds of thousands of people dead. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It's over. Economy in shambles. Housing We're market gonna- in ruins. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a Hawaiian shirt day. It'll be fine, everybody. <laughs> Do you remember? I think the thing I miss the most about pre-pandemic days is when a dozen of eggs was a dollar thirty, not seven dollars. I, I have to say, I do miss it. Although that the egg thing is just ridiculous. It's not even corporate greed. It's just the bird flu hit us. Right. And like came out of nowhere and just swept across the country and now everybody's like blaming it on supply chain. But like, no, here's it's something it's something different, you know, like this was going to happen anyway. <laughs> well, two two points to that. Here Here's the thing about it um, is everybody's buying their own birds now. And oh, yeah. like, oh, well, there, there's a shortage on that. But then everybody's also blaming it on supply chain shortage, which has just kind of become this catch all for like, eh, we just kind of just want to be lazy, you know. Yeah, not, or not make really. more money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Well, and I mean, like, part for the course, if you want to make more money, make more money, but be upfront and honest about it so people don't, let's say, confuse the issues and then start buying chickens in mass. Because I can't <laughs> imagine, like, Paco, my neighbor down the street, buying 30 chickens being necessarily good for your business. You know? <laughs> well, it can't also be good for the, the, the neighborhood either, because believe it or not, there's a lot of HOAs in Arizona that are like specifically called out, you can't have chickens. And the only reason that clause got put in place is because people bought chickens and tried to raise them in the middle of a six million population city where, oh man, maybe this is maybe this is annoying to people. Yeah, yeah. Also, I, I find that the dairy cow is not good to your yard. You no. know, like that. <laughs> Just at the end of the day, like, hey, we have some homes that are meant for farming and homesteading, and then we have some homes that are definitely not rated for any of that. (laughs) Let's not mix animals with those potential properties. (laughs) The thing, too, that's going to piss me off, and you know what's coming, is that we become comfortable with the new prices. And then when things do invariably get better, which they will, I mean, over course of time, shit happens and then shit gets better. It's just what happens. But... When we have these periods of inflation and then things get fixed, we're already comfortable paying $6 for a dozen of eggs. Yep. That's never going to go, you know what, guys, let's take it back down to a buck 30. No, yeah. they're just going to keep no. pocketing those profits. It's only going to cost them 20 cents a dozen. And they're going to be like, oh, shit, we're selling this for six bucks. Sweet. I'm telling you, corporate greed has been like the number one thing. That I think represents the decline of society. I mean, and from everybody saying, you know, I don't mean to make this like political cast, but I mean, from everybody saying like, you know what, I think we should charge those those dirty insulin users ninety five dollars a day for their product to, you know, 
somebody selling a keyboard for $10 more. Like, it's just all corporate greed. But you can't and let the I'm, pendulum swing too far the other way into yeah. the, the role of communism and socialism. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. then we'll all be standing in bread lines. And, yeah. like, there, there's the clever balance there that I think is represented by revolution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a well-timed, well-executed revolution. Just every here and there, you know. <laughs> Uh, just to keep shit in check. We need some Molotovs. Right, right. No, just, we don't need that. Just every once in a while, just kill a billionaire. Just just every once in a while, just pop one off. It's fine. <laughs> once you crest that billion dollar mark, your name gets dropped into a hat, and once a year they pull a name out. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And it All can't right, be a fucking it can't be a fucking lottery winner either. No. <laughs> no. No, we need general what generational wealth in this. Stream. And then they take all of their money and they put it in a series of airplanes and they fly over the United States just trickling this cash out. I remember reading somewhere that like a billion dollars was unfathomable um, and like you couldn't count to it. There's all these ridiculous. It takes like, you like 31 if, years or something like that or like. 11 yeah, years. yeah, yeah. And I'm willing to test that by loading that pl- those four planes up with tens. And just dropping them everywhere. <laughs> well, did you see? There was a video that somebody said, I want to visualize what Jeff Bezos' worth is. And he took rice. And each grain of rice was $100,000. I'm like, oh, this isn't really going to be that big of a pile of rice. It took up his damn living room. Yep. Yeah, and no he, had, he, like, he, he didn't count each individual one. He's like, okay, on average, this grain of rice weighs this much. So we have to do it by weight because I don't have 11 years to count $43 billion in rice. So it was a really interesting video to look at and think, oh, you could spend one of those grains of rice every day for your whole life and not even put a dent in it. No, and nothing would change about your life. But you could seriously impact somebody who didn't have a grain of rice to begin with. By just going like, hey, here's a fistful of rice. And see, this is my problem with capitalism you know you can say that you know communism is bad and that absolutely is a thing but like capitalism like its peak form is about to be reached (laughs) right (laughs) and when seven people own all the wealth in a country or a specific area like it's just ridiculous and then you have to remind yourself money's not real we invented the construct of money (laughs) and but if you look back soon the the satellite airstrike will hit my house that's fine that's (laughs) And you will say, "Oh, the sweet release." <laughs> Thank God. But if, take you, it, if take you look it down, back, I don't want to walk away from this one. <laughs> if you look back over the course of all of human history, never once has there been a time where communism or socialism has worked That's and true. not ended in absolute disparity. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, so, I think, and if you look at the human race, you could you could argue that yeah, those. Those are social constructs that are absolutely wrong. Although we've only been around like a thimble full <laughs> for the the existence of all time. So it probably doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. And I'm I'm definitely like I'm I'm definitely on the more, you know, like, hey, once you reach a certain amount of money, you probably don't need any more. Once you lose the ability to count it and you have to measure it in weight, you probably don't need any more. Right. But I, I also argue the fact that once that money's mine, it's mine. <laughs> it's mine. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Fuck it. Burn it all down. Eh, whatever. <laughs> Burn it all down. But yeah, that got awfully political, which we don't tend to do. But no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, it's a new I, I re- year. Whatever. I'm going to turn this into fart d- jokes and dick jokes before you know it. <sighs> this is going to be. 
God. <laughs> uh, in case you have not noticed, Dan and Tom are not with us. Um, we yeah. were slated to have a full four-man show for the first time in probably a year. But I got a message from Dan this morning saying that uh, he got tied up at lunch, so he wasn't able to make it. And then very shortly after, Tom sent a message saying, I seem to have forgotten that it was my wife's birthday. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, you go ahead and take care of that, buddy. I feel like somewhere in the background, somebody should start playing How to Save a Life. Like, that's not a... (laughs) Yeah, there are certain excuses that I'll let go. Uh, That one, yep. Yep, that's one of them. <laughs> that's a pretty solid one. The cream is another really good one because you got to have cream for that coffee. That's right. And I've met Kat. She's lovely. Also, she's got a hell of a right hook. So, yeah. Yes. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so, how's your week, Ben? What have you been up to? Uh, shits and giggles. I uh, So, okay. Big news for the show, I guess. I got laid off this week. Oh, you and too? This, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Join I'm, I'm the riding. club. I'm riding that train. No, I again, like this is no harm, no foul. I work for a company that did great things for a lot of years. Financially, I'll tell you something about myself. I'm a lot of things. Uh, poor, I am not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't stand on cheap street corners. <laughs> I don't have like a pimp. I, I make pretty good money. And uh, again, it's not really a surprise. Um, so, you know, my, I, I've taken the last three or four days and I've spent it on the couch, underwear surfing my, my cable box and, uh, I'm ready to hit it again next week. But yeah, it's been nice. I, I, I left a job where I got to say like, okay, well I accomplished most of what I wanted to accomplish and I'm kind of out. And I've had no less than 30 phone calls from people going, Oh my God, you know, like, and that feels good. That's (laughs) what do we do? And it's great when your response is not my problem. Not my problem anymore. Yeah, yeah. I've I've really enjoyed saying not my problem all week, but uh, yeah. So off to the new adventure. It's it's interesting that first week after you get laid off, you you just sit there and go, I don't. What do I do? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I I had Which, those moments sitting around my house, going like, should I clean something? Should I do something? <laughs> after having that time. Absence. So I, I ended up started I started working again in end of November. So I had about four weeks where I just didn't do anything. And that four weeks was all I needed to know that I can never retire because I will uh-huh. go insane. I, I had a spat right after college where I started a, a, a an animation studio and I built that up and it went really well. And then people started coming after me about questions about 401ks and retirement plans and benefits. And I just had no interest in it. Uh, And now that I'm older, I still have no interest in it. And I'd like to not work for somebody else. So I don't know, you know, like, hey, maybe our laundromat idea is going to take off. You never know. (laughs) Well, or or you build a business in which all you do is you just hire people that you 1099. Then you don't have to do anything with workman's comp or, you know. Health Buck benefits. Right you get a yeah. you get a lovely fee. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'll pay. I'll pay you extra so it doesn't cause me a headache. Everybody wins. Yeah. But yeah, I think the uh, after you after you leave a job for any reason, I think you should have a significant cooling off period. And and that you're absolutely right. Like four weeks is long enough to figure it out. Um, I've done that before. I I spent nine months at home with my daughter when she was born. Um, and I went back to work after that because I found out that I did not want to do it for ten months. Uh, yes. I'm a terrible stay-at-home parent. I'm not good at it, and my children survive somehow. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's not for me. 
Uh, so I'll go out and find another job. I'll find something to do for the next 10 years and then I'm out. Yeah. And I don't, I, I'm like you, like, I don't really know if I'll ever really retire or I'll just keep little side gigs forever. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, it's just so, it's so trying. <laughs> like, I like the money. <laughs> It's the money's a point lovely. now where even when you have a job, everybody has a job, well, mainly because they need to, but then they also need to contribute to retirement. But yep. 401ks are a joke. Like, there's no oh, way God, that's yeah. ever going to be. You know, people seem to think that I'm going to have 150000 in my 401k when I retire. Great. That's a year and a half of, of, of living. What are you going to do for like the other 50? Like you live 50? now. Yeah. Yeah. What are going to do for the other yeah, 50? I, Most people, when they retire, live in abject poverty. Well, yeah. And I really don't want that. <laughs> no. No, I'm, I'm not into the abject poverty, so I'll probably end up working forever. But I don't want to have to start again, it's selling gotta, my game it's gotta, collection. It's got to be at a reduced rate. Right. <laughs> I got to I got to get to the point where I can walk into my office every day. look at my games and go, what would I like to play? And then, oh, yeah, I can type this email. Yeah. So I'll find something. I, I I'll be know. here if somebody has a, a fire that they need to put out and then I'll spray something on it and be back to my games. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's really it, right? Like, I, I understand now a lot better what people said uh, when I was younger about, you know, picking something that you're passionate about that you can work at and it feels like not working because you're pretty much going to work till you die. Um, and but I mean, that that kind of gives you validation and a sense of accomplishment. So then you should do it. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like, and it's funny because the, the day that I uh, was laid off, I kind of came home and I told my wife and she goes, okay, well, what are you going to do? You're going to take a couple days off. And I said, yeah, I'm going to take some time off. And then I'm going to go look. And she said, well, why don't you start looking for a job in a place where you want to end up? Which is a really interesting idea because I don't know where I want to end up. And it's forced me to think about that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be, you know, someplace like Colorado or someplace like Maine. Uh, but uh, Wisconsin. Uh, huh? No, <laughs> it's cold there all the time. Fuck that. It is not. <laughs> I I need a balance of seasons, my friend. I, I, I've learned from watching the weather over the last several years that I don't want to live in a place where it's routinely negative 18 degrees. But it's I also don't want to like live in a jacked up place like Florida where you just sweat all the time continuously. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, in the interest of finding new jobs, yesterday was a bit of a, a personal milestone for me. Um, I have a tendency to wander down rabbit holes, as as you guys know. Um, I never do anything halfway. I get something like, oh, well, how far can I take this? Dog with a bone, my friends. Dog yes. with a bone. Yes. Um, so in that period of time where I didn't have anything to do, I got out my smaller drone that I'd had for a couple of years and went, oh. I'm going to fly this thing around. And then I got a wild hair up my ass. Well, I'm going to buy a new drone. So I went out and I bought a really nice expensive drone. And then I went, well, what can I what can I do with this? And started taking pictures of some houses in the area and some landscape stuff and shared it um, on Facebook. And some realtor friends went, hey, are you licensed to do that? I'm like, no, what do you mean? I'm like, well, we need people to take aerial pictures of houses so that sent me down that rabbit hole and in order to do that you have to have a commercial unmanned aerial system uh, license and then i started studying for that um took me about two months just because i wasn't really like hitting it hard but just studying for it took a course um and then yesterday had to go to an faa testing center and took the exam and 
passed it. So now Heck I'm yeah. certified to fly unmanned aircraft commercially. Excellent. When All are we because I just was weapons. Yeah. <laughs> hey, as long as whatever I put on there stays under 55 pounds, I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. So Excellent. I could make a mini 50 pound, you know, whatever. But yeah, one of those weird rabbit holes like, oh, well, I could. And then I started looking into how much money you can make doing that. And it's just disgusting because it, it, the, the barrier to entry is so high. It's not a difficult test. It's just you got to take a test. So, well, and it's a very technical test, right? Like you have to know as much as yes. pilots to do that. Yeah. So the 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 exam that I took, they don't differentiate between a drone and a fixed wing aircraft. So you have to know everything about the mechanics of flight. You have to know all about airport operations. You have to know all about radio call signs, all about weather theory, aeronautical decision making, um, how to read airspace charts. You have to know all about airspace, what the different heights are, what the different restrictions are, all the rules. and like You have to know all of this. And then they condense it down into 60 questions and go, we'll just pull from anything. So you, you can't just like, <laughs> I'll know some of this and some of this and some of that. You have to know all of it. Yeah. So it, yeah, it is pretty technical. A- yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I know that like people have, you know, I, I saw specifically on your sticker that it said like, hey, how many times have you taken this? Just the yeah. once. Because <laughs> it's expensive to take that test. Yeah, it's a $200 test. Yeah. And if you so fail, you have great. to wait 14 days and then you have to pay to take it again. So yep. most people, oh, yeah. if they study for at least a month or two, can pass it in the first two tries. Yeah. So, when you've got you've got like pre-test courses and stuff like that that you can take out there too right yeah so i actually signed up for a course out of a um there's a guy who's a flight instructor at embry riddle which is one of the national leaders in aeronautical training and uh he put together a really cool course um, called pilot institute and course is like 150 bucks but then takes you through everything you need to know he's been an instructor for 25 30 years or something but then he gives you unlimited practice tests and he says if you pass with 80% or above two times in a row, there's a 90% chance, 99% chance you're going to pass the exam because you only need to get a 70% to pass the test. So I oh, gotcha. took all yeah. those, those practice exams. And he said, if you end up failing and you've passed twice in a row with 80%, I'll refund your test amount. So um, Excellent. He's, he's pretty confident in his stuff. So yeah, big shout out to that. It was a great course for anybody looking at doing it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of my, uh, that's sort of my plan moving forward, working with this other company that I'm doing, but also working on this. The thing that sucks, can't fly in the winter. Oh yeah. Too damn cold. I mean, you can, I just, the next, the, so again, back to my point of like never do anything half-ass. The next drone that I want to buy is $15,000 because it's enormous. It can hold like 50 pounds worth of stuff and. It can fly in the cold. All the stabilizing cameras, all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean like that, but that, that sounds like it has growth and it's not a saturated market, which anybody Mm -hmm. who has an art degree or a graphics design degree can tell you is important, you know, (laughs) right? Because you go into jobs and you're like, oh yes, here's the 75. Well, and it's really interesting too, because just people that I talk to, like in my church and just around the community and, and they ask what I do, I share like, that's what I'm studying to do. And they went, uh, do you have a card? Because like, I know somebody who needs that, and I know someone who like even yeah. just my friends, family members who own cabins. I went and did a flyover for one of them, and and mapped out his land. 
one of my buddies here, uh, his family owns a farm and they're going to be doing some demolition work and they want before and after photos. And the other thing yeah. you can do is you can do crop mapping and heat mapping and, and uh, thermal imaging. Hunters will hire drones if they shoot a deer and they can't track the deer. They'll hire a drone yeah. to come out and like thermal image for this deer. <laughs> it's a cr- no, like, there's I mean, infinite growth for it. Yeah, I mean, and and like the the various ways that you can use a drone to capture, you know, income. Right. Uh, you're right. It's sort of unlimited because I think people are still in that that uh, that burgeoning era where they're discovering like, oh shit, you can do this with a drone. Like, if somebody could flip an egg with it, like that'd be the next commercial, right? Like, make right. breakfast. <laughs> but the thing that, and this is the thing that's actually quite alarming, is that you can just go to any Best Buy or Target or Walmart and buy yeah. a DJI drone. And nowhere within that packaging is there any statement that says what you need to know or what you don't need to know about where you can or can't fly. Yeah. So a lot of people just view it as a toy. But if you hook this thing up and you connect your phone to it, which you have to, and you go to take off and you live in a restricted airspace, it's going to just say, sorry, I can't fly here. People are like, what the fuck? Yeah. But the thing to well, note I'm- is that the second, literally the second that you exchange money for your services and you are not certified, you are liable for a $35,000 fine and they make yeah. no exceptions. Well, in a bet that's, I, I, you know, and like knowing things like, Hey, you can't film in a national park. You know, you can't even yeah. fly a drone into national nope. park airspace. Like nope. you wouldn't know that unless you got into the rules and understood why and understood yeah. all the ins and outs. So yeah, I think that's great, man. I think yeah. that's fantastic. And and again, like even if it becomes a side income and a project that you work on, you know, well into your, you know, retirement years. So what? Like you're working for two hours at a time, three hours at a time here and there. And then eventually it can become like a pickup income. And that's great. Yeah. Yep. And then just transition off and be like, I'm just going to work four days a week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to work one day a week. <laughs> Load all this shit up into one day. <laughs> Leave at 5 a.m., get home at 5 p.m., done. Oh, gosh. But yeah. So video games. Yes, here we are. We are oh, what, yeah, video 32 games. minutes into this. Haven't said a single fucking thing about video games. Hey, I'd just um, like to congratulate you, number one, on your game of the year list. You guys, you chose correctly. Elden Ring is the game of the year. I did. I did. Yeah. I Record I, of Lotus War, Wonder D. Levitt is definitely on that list, but, you know, you couldn't pick it. It's okay. <laughs> you know, I've the only knowledge that I have of Record of Lotus War was a few years ago seeing the huge box set of it sitting on the shelf at Best Buy. I'm like, that looks absurd. Oh, yeah, it is. And playing but I didn't game, realize how many there were. Oh, there's thousands of hours of Record of Lotus War. And, like, that game that I, I put a top ten list together because I was supposed to be on the show, everybody. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> couldn't do it uh but i uh i played that game and that game represents like one of the side stories in record of lotus war and it's a 10-hour game that just goes on and on and on and on and on and you look at it you're like jesus christ this lore is deep and then i looked and i have like four other record of lotus war games i didn't even know about so hey that's something (laughs) that i've i've made a conscious decision to not dabble into because look what happened when i started dabbling into the Legend of Heroes series. You got the Trails of Sky, Trails of Cold Steel, and then it's like, oh, well, let's go all the way back to the Turbo Graphics and the Super Famicom with Dragon Slayer because that was technically the foundation for that <laughs> game. So now I need to get these Japanese games. Like, I just don't have any self control. 
<laughs> yeah, once you go down the rabbit hole, it, it the bottom always is a hard landing. <laughs> it, it is, and then you get there and you're like, oh, god damn it. I should have seen this coming. Why the fuck don't I speak conversational Japanese? <laughs> so. I, I look at the sheer volume of Japanese games I have sitting on my shelf, and I'm like, why? Do you have any intention of playing that? Oh, no, no intention. No. I just needed to own it. <laughs> but I can tell you why I got into it, and I blame Tom Ragan for this. All right. Because he and I both appreciate a really good box art. And it uh, all happened... Yeah. When he bought Final Fantasy 4, 5, and 6 on the Super Famicom when he was in Japan. And he goes, Eric, look at these box arts. And something in my brain went tick and turned on. And we're like, <laughs> I need Japanese games. So anytime yeah. I see one, I look at the box art or the disc art. For me, a lot of times it's the disc art. Like when, when yeah. we went to Mocon two years ago, we walked out with probably 10 Japanese games each just because of the freaking disc art. Like Rogue Galaxy, infinitely better disc art. Yeah, or, um, or like police knots. Yeah, you, know, you look at that game, and that game. I mean, and it's it. That's a it's a very slow sort of plotting game. But I mean, to look at the packaging that that comes in, and the the beautiful like hand painted discards, amazing. Well, and there's there there's one minor detail that makes the Japanese PS One game discard look better, and it's that it goes all the way to the edge of the disc. Yeah, for yeah. some reason, American they leave that little like eighth of an inch right at the edge and like ah just go all the way out yeah we're fuckers we don't well and sometimes we pick good art sometimes we don't like i'll i'll forever argue that the whoever chose the art for the u.s version of street fighter uh and street fighter 2 all through the the 90s was just an absolute bag of shit i hated that stuff Um, and the japanese got all the super anime over the top covers but yeah like the the fundamental use of color is the first thing. I mean, half the Turbo Graphics games that I have are literally like the name of the game printed on a blank disc, and yeah. you know, like that's it. And then you go look at the Japanese versions, and they go edge to edge. They've got all this color. They're embossed. They've got this and that. And I'm like, oh god, we just suck. Have you seen the? <laughs> Uh, but Japanese... not as much as the Europeans, man. The MD box art's awful. <laughs> have, have you seen the Japanese box art and disc art for Link's Awakening? I have. Oh, it's, it's gorgeous. So much better. It's it's like the cartoons that they drew into the instruction manual. Like, let's just put this on the cover. Whereas yeah. in America, we have a gold background with the title and a shield and a sword. Like, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's it's iconic, but. As well, soon the back as I of got the boxes, like five screenshots from random intervals in the game. Yeah, like, well, this doesn't <laughs> and make if you any played sense. the game, you love them less than I do. And, you know, like, that's <laughs> it's just how it goes. But I'm I'm absolutely enamored with all the Japanese box art. I started collecting uh, Japanese games when I was in Japan, um, and it. I, okay, so this is a weird true story, and it links me to Eric in other ways than this show. Uh, oh. So I stayed at Kiro's house. And he had a bunch of games, but the one that I was most enamored with was Murder on the Eurasian Express. Uh, because Murder on the Eurasian Express is an absolutely wonderful game. And then 10 years later, I'm in America riding in a car and I hear somebody talk about it. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, like and again, like the breadth and depth of games that just get amazing box art. And then, um, you know, like the pack like that's that's the other thing that the Japanese get that we don't is just amazing pack ins. Like they have full books in yeah. most of their games. And like um I think I have Snatcher on the Sega C D oh. that actually comes with a little comic book. 
and it's just amazing. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> down yeah, with it's... Americans on box art. We suck. <laughs> it, it's real bad. It's real bad. Yeah. But I think maybe they don't do it because they know that we don't care as much or appreciate it as much. Whereas over there, it's like there, there's more attention paid to that just across yeah, the board. Aesthetics. That's real possible. And it's also real possible that like just the economics don't make sense because they're already paying to port a game and it comes over here. And like I can imagine in the 80s, there were lots of conversations like you're not getting shit. You're already getting the game and it's translated <laughs> badly. Yeah. <You know? laughs> take it or leave it and we're take it or leave, leave it. it i am error you know <laughs> that's what you get uh or a bunch of college students who've had like a week and a half of japanese going i could translate that yeah but i did i found this interesting so in our game of the week 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 week, week i did find it fascinating that in america you also get like the hint line inside the yes. game yes <laughs> yes is that the ps1 version that is the PS1 version, and that is the, the version that capitalizes most on the let's make the money off 900 number games. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll get to our game of the week in a few minutes. Um, I, I know we usually save the modern stuff for side quests, but since you're on, yeah, you, sure. and I, you and I uh, delved back into the world of Gran Turismo this past week. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> Dude, it's, that fucking game is amazing. Yeah, it's unhealthy. So we both bought Gran Turismo 7 because Walmart was just offloading it for ridiculously cheap for some reason. Yep. Um, but we bought it in preparation for PSVR 2. And apparently, Gran Turismo 7 is the PSVR 2 killer app. Who would have yep. thought a game that Who came out it? to absolutely zero fanfare and actually a bunch of, of, of uh, criticism because of its games as a service style... Which, thank God, they've stripped out. But let me tell you what, the skeleton is still there. It is yeah. still there. The, the the ghost is floating around. You can tell, like, I'm annoyed with it how it is now. I can't imagine how bad it was when it first came out. You know, just the the, the roulette tickets and... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, sure. And never so, getting the car on the roulette tickets, that pisses me off. <laughs> every roulette ticket I've gotten, I've always gotten the least amount of money that's there. Yep. Oh, yeah. And so, that's engineered. Like, yeah, this is an FMV, guys. There's nothing live about this. You always intended to fuck me with this. <laughs> right. Um, some context but, for it. Grand Tris- the first the first couple hours are definitely like, hey, go do this, then come back here and do this and go that and do that. But I mean, like the game itself is phenomenal. It's incredible. It's it's absolutely unreal how great that game is. But for context here, Gran Turismo is either a love it or hate it game. I don't know anybody who's kind of in the middle. They're like, yeah, I kind of enjoy a good Gran Turismo now and again. They're like, it's either you go, yeah, it's too simmy for me or people are like, yeah, that's my jam right there yeah. and my jelly. Um, but for context, it's always been a very true to life driving simulator. Yes. You have to take these pile of shit cars and then you learn about all the components that go into them and upgrading them and then buying the next series of cars and entering races and championships and getting your your different uh, B, A, uh, international B, international A super license, like getting tested on all of that and like learning about the apex of corners and how to throttle, how to control throttle through a corner and how to break going downhill through a corner. Like you learn about all this shit and it's phenomenal and all of that is still there. However, what they've done now is they have instituted an economy system that you can tell is rigged in such a way that it doesn't support itself within the game. So what I mean by that is 
typically in the old games, you buy a part for a car, you own the part for the car for as long as you have the car. Now you upgrade a part within the car, like the engine. Let's say you just put a new engine in it. Any other components that you'd purchased that were attached to that engine previously are gone and you have to buy them again. So you have two options. You can grind races for little amounts of cash or the default option is PlayStation Store, recharge my Gran Turismo funds. Like, that shit annoys me. That should not be in a game of this caliber. Like, yeah. Polyphony knows what they're doing. They have a rock-solid fan base. I, I think at this point, you're not going to draw in new droves of Gran Turismo fans because you already have that core, solid crowd. But they it, within the game, they've also introduced part deterioration, which is annoying as shit. I I get it. Okay, that I can give a little bit of a pass on because it is a little bit more simulation like, oh, my shocks or my struts or my brakes or whatever are starting to wear out. In the past, you always had to do oil changes. Now you just have to rebuy all these parts again. Yeah. So or you can do what I do, which is just bunny hop between the race types so that no car gets too much use. I think most of my cars have maybe two races on them. Oh, wow. Uh, And then I move to something else. Because I, I refuse to play that game of like, oh, I'm just playing this game to upgrade cars to play the game. Well, and um, they've so. they've instituted a quest system, too, which I guess I, I kind of like because it's done in such a way that provides a lot of history. So there's a cafe. I want to get your take on this. What's your what's your take on all of just the random people? And the faces that they're they're injecting into the other. Hi, I'm so and so in the cafe, and I'm Sarah. I'll be your advisor. I don't care. Yeah, I care about the actual like race car drivers that are in it because like as you go into races and you're doing like the uh, the Gran Turismo courses for like your license, for example, like you get yeah. real racers, so they're giving uh, you real tips. No, those are into- Gran Turismo driver racers. They're not real racers. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> but like yeah, as I go into the cafe and I'm like, this is Sergio and he's doing this, and I'm like, ah. Well, I don't care about your dialogue at all, so I'm going to x rate through it. <laughs> skip, 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 skip. It yeah. is neat, though, because they, they give you, he gives you this menu. He runs a car cafe. And to progress in the game, you have to do his little quests. And they're, they're simple. They're like collect three hatchbacks or collect three Japanese yeah. front, front cars. The menu books, yeah. Right. So you do that and then you bring him back and he tells you a cool little story. I really like that. I think that's super neat because it's very well thought out. It's very historical. It's accurate. And and it's like, oh, I didn't really know. That's why Japanese front front cars were super popular. Like this type of car. That's why the Fiat 500 was popular or Mini. And it's it's neat, but it's kind of out of place in a game like this. Yeah, I feel like it's arcade mode needs more of a a push to it to get it like in front of the limelight. Cause once you start playing, like if you go into the arcade mode in any race, it's amazing. Yeah. Right. Like it's just straight flat. I'm playing a racing game. And like, if I win, I get some money. Um, and the backstory stuff is pretty cool, but I will say that this is a trope of grand Mo from years back. It's not trying to be a racing game. It's trying to be a car museum. Um, yeah. and, and like this that one is, is, that is fully fleshed out here. Uh, and you will get me every single time. Because I could kind of care less about the car museum, but on the same token, like if you're going to do what Eric was talking about and getting like three cars and then telling me about those three cars and why they're sort of central to the the systems of racing that they are like, I'm hooked for that because I've just spent so much time unlocking those cars. 
yeah. now for me, like I'm all in on the racing front because that game, like it's got, oh gosh, what is it? I, I played with the RR the, on the other day and in its quality mode, like seriously, it's, it's a 60 frames per second dream of a game. Like the HDR works, everything works. Um, and it's amazing to look at and to run, especially next to something like Forza, uh, because Forza is more of an arcade game, right? And it feels like an yeah. arcade game when you're racing. Uh, Forza or Forza, Forza Motorsport or Forza Horizon? Horizon. Okay, yeah, I mean, Horizon is is designed to be an arcade racer. Like, it's just goofy, silly fun. Sure. Um, I never fully actually got into forza motorsport i think my my actually i played the original one on on the first xbox and halfway through the first race my muffler blew out and i lost all this i don't know if i want <laughs> this level of simulation like, could you imagine just your tires randomly popping or i, um, I don't know i guess there's some people that enjoy that i guess i should I, check I out not. the maintenance bay you know yeah. <laughs> like i also don't want to race 500 laps and you know like a daytona i i See, really i i would die before I younger I Eric loved that because yeah. Gran Turismo three had the 24 hour races. And oh yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I have vivid memories of doing a bunch of laps and then pausing it and going to bed and waking up the next morning. Like, let's keep going. <laughs> it's the free time now for me yeah. that like it gets in the way. Uh, but I have loved Gran Turismo seven so far. In fact, it, you know, like I wish they would go back and re-review it. And I know yeah. that's going to need some sort of DLC, and I imagine we'll get it with a VR patch. But I, I, you know, again, I was watching, you know, just random sort of ads for Sony, and they slipped it in there, and it was like, oh yeah, by the way, Gran Turismo Seven is fully playable uh, in VR, and, and it was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, the word "fully playable" caught me off guard because yeah. GT Gran Turismo Sport on PS4 I bought because it had some VR, which uh, was just like a walk around the car mode, right? It was a walk around the car mode, but then you could do a couple cars and I think one or two tracks maybe. And that was it. This yeah. whole game, literally start to finish whole game. Yeah. And, and I, I like I can't turn that down. <laughs> I have, I've been fighting internally to not go buy a steering wheel because I can't I physically cannot imagine a better VR experience than yeah. that. Yeah. Well, and absolutely, like, all the racing rigs that you see that are, like, $200 kits that you put together, like, those are starting to become more appealing with the idea that I will be fully immersed in that game. And, yeah. I, you know, like, I, I have to say, like, it's hard to do, and I, I'm terrible when it comes to controllers. I'll just say it. Like, I'm terrible when it comes to buying stuff because I buy one thing. Like, fight sticks. I probably own 40 different fight sticks, Yeah, uh, which none of you knew about me until now. Uh, but you know, I do the same thing everybody else does. Oh no, I'll get the cheap one. Oh, that one comes with Sanwa buttons. Oh, that one actually comes with right, you know, like the oh. right gate on the stick. And then I have three, you know, fight sticks out of nowhere. So like, if I'm going to go for a steering wheel, I'm going to go for a steering wheel. <laughs> but the really nice ones are a thousand dollars. I saw one the other day that was $1,500 and I was like, Ooh, that's tempting. Yeah. <laughs> I think if I do, I think I've narrowed it down to a couple, and it's about three hundred bucks. But the, is it the Logitech? Yeah, the G yeah. uh, nine twenty three or the G twenty nine, one of those two. Yeah. But um, it doesn't come with the shifter, but it has the option to get the shifter attached. But it does come with the sport paddle shifter, which I think is probably better probably enough. Yeah, but um, 
I, I just, like, I don't know. I need to, I need to just dial it back because we're going to spend s- almost seven hundred dollars yeah. on a VR headset for a system that we already spent six hundred dollars on. <laughs> yeah, I'm flabbergasted. Like the PlayStation VR sounds amazing and i mean and again i'm I'm reading reviews and i'm looking at the technical documents and i'm like this thing is literally the best vr headset on earth yeah. and it's tied to the playstation and i'm like how long does that last before it becomes you know meant to work as a pc headset and then i'm all in like yeah my 700 well is it's nothing. a USB-C connection so yeah yeah i'm ready you so. know We'll I give think it a little time. There was an article. <laughs> I'm willing that I, to play Horizon over the mountain or whatever the hell that is for a little while. Gran Turismo for a bit, but I better see some connectivity. <laughs> well, they're going to have uh, Beat Saber um, patched for it, and then they are releasing Excellent. the second book of Moss, which that game was my killer yeah. VR app. Yeah, that's a good deal. I really wish there was like an Astrobot. I was going to uh, say, I can't imagine they don't do another Astrobot. Yeah, and that's probably in that second. Like, remember with VR1, we got like a resurgence in it when they started bundling it with games. Yeah. I, I got a feeling like that'll be there. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm all in for PlayStation VR. Um, and it's like bought and paid for, so I don't have to worry about it and the, you know, the the lack of income funding, you know? Right. Like, so I'm, I'm just ready to go. I just um, want to get mine on on or close to release day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mine's, I think mine's coming from PlayStation Direct, so. They, you can only get them from PlayStation Direct. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's uh. only PlayStation Direct. Well, there was that that rumor that was floating around that Sony cut production by a million units, which turned out to be false. They originally yeah. had had projected sales of two and a half million, so they were going to produce two and a half million. The truth of the matter was that they they cut their internal forecasts uh, yeah, to one and a half sense. million. They weren't well, stopping and I mean, production. Like if you put a million headsets in right out of the gate, like the 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 market's open, right? right. Like you can't sell a million of something and not say I, I want to sell two. <laughs> that's right. that's just how modern game economics works. Well, uh, and people saw how wildly successful the first one was, and game developers are going to flock to it because the technology between behind PSVR two versus the first one is miles. Literally oh. miles better. It's not even in the same universe. You're ha- you have two 4K OLED 120 frames per second screens, one per eye. Yeah. Well, and not just that, but like the controller alone is worth the price of admission. Dude, right. th- using the PlayStation VR was fun, but I would equate it to a kid's toy, right? Like right. to play Beat Saber with the stupid little weird sony sex toys make sure that there was no light in the background or that the light in the background was the right color right Right. like oh it was a nightmare but like it was an entry point and i think now we're getting like actual motion sensing sticks we've got some finger movement i think the sky's the limit and again all it's going to take um at least on the console gamer side is for you to make a deal with valve and say, like, we want Half-Life Alex. Because I know the Boneworks guys are talking to him already. And I'm like, yep, there's the other one. That's that's it. Those are the two guys that are most on the forefront of VR right now. If Half-Life Alex makes it onto that console or yeah. onto that headset, it it's a system seller. Like, yeah. that's worth the, the price of entry for the system and the headset. Because that I'm game sure- is unreal. I'm trying. I'm sure Valve is trying to get the price point down on their index, but they can't hit $600. There's no way. No, well, no, not. and then the the thing that people also forget to take into account is okay, great, you could play that on a PC, but 
gaming PC is going to cost you 1500 bucks to yeah. run Half-Life Alex. The like, entry there, point for PC VR is crazy. There, there's no two ways around it. I've got a pretty beefy PC, but it's still with a dated graphics card and it still cost me 1100 bucks to build. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, and I mean, like, there it is. There's the argument for it. And I think, again, like Half-Life Alex is what, two years old? Is it two? No, it's older than that. Yeah, it's it's a little long in the tooth. It makes sense to start porting it to other systems. Right. And again, you could do an excellent port of it for the PlayStation VR and be totally good. And I, again, I, I hope they do it. I can't um, wait. I think we'll um, get Boneworks and that's going to be fucking amazing and nauseating, but amazing. Like there's something about VR when you're running around and you have legs and it's and you have legs in the game and you look down at them and they don't match your own. Like that will fuck up my perception of reality. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, I can't wait. That comes out on the 22nd. So, but hey, we get uh, Hogwarts Legacy this week. We Are you going to buy that game coming this week? Are you buying it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My daughter wants to play it. So we'll be playing it because my daughter wants to play it. I think I'm I think I'm going to Um, I know Dan is going to and I know that there's a lot of controversy surrounding that game and all I have to say to that is there's literally there's no point to be as angry as people are about that game it's a game there's a whole team of people behind that game that have made that that deserve the support yes well and like again personal politics aside like it's a zero sum game for like if your problem with it is JK Rowling's politics then know that if that game fails, she's not going to be affected by it. And not if at it all. takes off and succeeds, she's not going to be affected by it. She's already done everything that she's supposed to do with that game, which is to sign a piece of paper and write over a license. But there's a team of 300 people that's been working on that game for, what, six years? Yeah. Like, you need to support game development. Right. <laughs> and, like, if you can't get out of your own way to see that, I, I don't know what to tell you as a, yeah. as a, you know, as a person who you know, advocates for all sorts of rights for anybody out there who wants some, um, like this game is not the tipping point in any sort of war. Um, and you know, my daughter wants to play it. My daughter grew up reading Harry Potter books. She really wants to play it. And so I've said, yes, you should play that. And sadly I've said, yes, you should play that on my PlayStation five. Oh no. Uh, yeah. That's, oh no. Yeah. So I may not be playing PlayStation five for a couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm on the fence. I think I really want to get it mainly because I've heard that there's no moral system. If you want to just kill somebody, yeah. you can just kill somebody. And I love that. Yes. It's like what Fable should have been. Yeah. Hogwarts will be empty. <laughs> it's a school for no one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get the fuck out of us. I like it. I, I, I just I I need to play that. Um, and I, I really, again, I want to play it through my daughter's eyes and my wife's eyes because they're both huge Harry Potter fans. So I'm excited right. to let them get a crack at it. And again, I'll give up my TV and my PlayStation five for a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Yeah. I'll give it up and, uh, hopefully they'll get bored and wander off, you know, <laughs> that comes out Friday. Uh, yeah, I think we bought it, the digital deluxe version. So I get my copy. Like a month. I get my physical copy like a week from now, but I get that on Tuesday. Okay. So, yeah, I, I got to get in play time for whatever I can between now and Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Oh, it's going to be rated teen. I guess that'd be okay for my kids. Yeah. 
Well, and I mean, again, like your kids may play it and go like, oh, there's no fucking Harry Potter in here. Hermione's not in here. And I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) It's Hogwarts. It's a castle. I saw Bugbeak or whatever the hell his name is. Whatever. (laughs) Like my my wife and my daughter, I love them to death. And they get very excited about Harry Potter. And they start talking to me about all the lore and the things that happen. And it's kind of tertiary to me. Like, I like Star Wars. And I like, you know, shit like that. And if I talk to them about that, their eyes glaze over. And I'm like, yeah, call me when, you know, like the search for Hermione's Jaime comes up. You know, like, that's what I want. (laughs) Speaking of Star Wars. Oh, let's hear it. Segway. I was sitting in my theater room last night and I was playing some Grand Trism. I'm like, yeah, I just need to take a break from this. And I was just cycling through the the PlayStation uh, games that come with PlayStation Plus Premium. Mm -hmm. And I saw... Jedi Fallen Over and <gasps> went, I still haven't beaten that, nor have I played the PS5 version. So I downloaded it and played like three hours of it last night, and I'm balls deep back in that game. So Yeah, that's a fucking great game. Like nobody so gave that game credit, but I mean, that is like the perfect mixture of like an actual game and Star Wars, which you don't ever get. No. You usually no. get Battlefront. Well, when is when is the second one coming out? Uh, it's just taking a delay, but I think it's still this year. It's sometime in May. It's supposed to come out in like March, and they're taking like a six week delay. But oh. I I really like that game, and the fucking ending of that game is amazing. I will not spoil it for you, but Thank the ending you. of that that the ending of that game is fucking like hardcore. Like oh shit, I like this now. <laughs> Ooh, April twenty eighth. That gives me gives oh, me nice. some time. It's not a super long game either, is it? Like maybe twenty hours. Yeah, there's a lot of backtracking in the middle of it, um, and which is good because it's like all combat focused. But yeah, it's it's probably 20, 25 hours. Well, the map, from what I recall, is bad. Not nearly as bad as God of, as God of War Ragnarok, but it's bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it real. does that thing where it's trying to do hype maps. And yeah. that shit does game developers of the world. Stop getting fucking fancy with your maps. Right. Like, it, I just need a map. <laughs> And just if it's got a like a below view. floor and an above floor, like height map it and say like, this is floor two and this is floor one. Do not try and show me that with digital art. And don't even don't. I, I don't care if you even give me full 3D control of them. I don't want that. I want a no, flat. I don't, I don't want to slide around the map. I don't want to fly through the map. I just want a map that tells me to go left or fucking right. God of War Ragnarok <laughs> um, stymied me in the last like two missions of the game because I had to go to a specific place. I could not figure out how to go. Um, and then I found out like, Oh, by the way, you're missing this whole area. It's only got two trophies, but like you've not explored this 20 hour area. Cause I don't know and how I, to get there. Cause the map yeah, sucks. I don't fucking know. <laughs> the other thing too, let me zoom in. If I want to zoom in and view individual goddamn pixels on the wall, let me zoom that far in. Or if I want to zoom yeah. out and make the whole map one pixel, let me do that too. Like I need that infinite zoom level. God of War had two all the way yeah. out or kind of in kind of in kind of in sucked. And then yeah. and again, like, again, I don't know if you you beat that game, right? Yeah. Did you ever see the crater? The crater? No. <laughs> so, again, like another monument to God of War. It's got like a 20 hour area called the crater in I don't know. The one with the boat, <laughs> the, 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 the area that you start with at the boat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but it's got this 20 hour area called the crater where there's all sorts of shit to do. And you would never know it was there because it's not on the map. 
Oh. And like, and again, like I just, I stepped back from that and God of War has got a ridiculously high completion rate. Something like 51% of people have actually beaten God of War according wow. to the trophies. Um, and I have no idea how most of you did it because I could not find like, where do I go to get this next part of the quest? And, and, and again, I love God of War Ragnarok. I thought it was a great game, but the reason it's number two on my list is that fucking map. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's an unpopular opinion, but it overstayed its welcome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it needs and it's a PlayStation 4 game. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. It is a solid PlayStation 4 game that looked really nice on PlayStation 5. There was nothing about that game to push the technical boundaries of anything. No, Uh, but it looked great and it played great and it just had a shitty map. Did you just (laughs) invent a new word? What's that? Did you say technical boundaries? Technical boundaries. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Technical groundations here at Factory Sealed Industries. Groundaries. (laughs) technical groundaries <laughs> you were going for groundations and like i got a nah, boundary it. nah, it's over. <laughs> oh, well there we go folks groundaries um, so, but yes speaking of of you know shit backtracking and a game that needs a map we should probably talk about our uh game of the week do we have to i mean it, <laughs> this was a tough pill to swallow because i remember really liking this game when it came out a lot of people did and all I can say is that I'm a product of my generation and there was nothing like this before it came out. So that's that's all I have to, to lay back on. But like playing through this twice was rough. <laughs> it was. Yeah. So this week we decided to play Legacy of Khan. Kane? Kane. 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 Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver, which this is my first foray into any of the Legacy of Kane games. I've never, oh, really? Never really? touched any of them. I've always seen them. Um been told i should play them but never actually actually did so i started with the playstation one version and i was playing it on the ps1 classic um totally totally legally you know just yeah. you know perfectly legal sure um and then discovered there was a dreamcast version and went oh well we don't dabble too much into the dreamcast very often so i'm gonna see about playing that which sent me on a hunt to try to find a dreamcast version of it and i yeah just oh yeah that's not happened. easy happened to stumble upon it at the one gaming store that we have here in town like, oh cool i'll buy it play it and uh therein began my issues because my the dreamcast is notoriously unreliable it is a very unreliable system gorgeous great games ton of fun very ahead of its time kind of unreliable um mine decides to just reset randomly when you're playing just awesome. for no reason. So I took my system apart and did a couple of twists of some knobs and tightening of some things just to see. And it, it worked for a while, but um, it started coming back. So my gameplay progress was hindered by the fact that I was saving every couple minutes. <laughs> but then also, <laughs> if your game resets, it starts you back at the beginning. And then yeah. you have to like go to the teleport room and then teleport to somewhere where you think you were. And if you didn't know where the nearest teleporter was to where you were, then you're just guessing. So I spent probably twice as much time as I did playing just trying to get back to where I was playing. Oh, yeah. And the load screen is a devil in this game. That that's yeah. that is the screen that you will see more than anything else. It's a it's a big loading screen and it's fucking present all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and not for nothing, like the original PlayStation game was built on the concept that there should be no loading screens. 
um, and that it, most of it streams. And like, if you play that game start to finish um, from a sort of logical perspective, there really are no loads. But the right. second that you start transporting around, it's fucked. <laughs> right. <laughs> and well, it's got terrible over the top vampy acting from everybody. <laughs> yeah, I feel like voice acting when it came in in the PlayStation One era was just like, "Hey guys, we can do this." Anybody on the development team, you know, want to just like hop in the booth for a couple minutes? Yeah, it's 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 really bad. Like what I thought was cool before definitely comes across like five guys they picked up at Taco Bell and said, like, you're going to play vampires. (laughs) Be with this voice all the time. (laughs) You are a giant, misshapen, ugly creature. Brother. Come and you're going to have completely unpronounceable, non-memorable names like <laughs> Brother Malachi. Well, and it was fine. I mean, like the game as it goes is absolutely uh, a product Great. of its time, right? Like yeah. it's got it's got big open world sort of feel and it's empty because it's a PlayStation 1 game. <laughs> there, there's a technical limit. You can only fit um, one guy. And I think it's three enemies on screen at a time. And you definitely feel that about halfway through the game. You're like, man, I'm fighting the same three enemies over and over. Like, because you are. Yeah. Um, And sometimes the enemies change. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, But it just feels sort of empty. And I guess I liked that when I was a kid. I remember walking out of, um, uh, what is it, the Elder Gods sort of lair under the lake and walking into Nazgoth and being like, oh, wow, this is really big and it's cool. And look how it's in- it's empty. And then that kind of wears thin after a while. <laughs> well, we were all enamored by that in the 90s because like, this is a huge open world. I get to look, look how big this space is. Think about it. Look at um, I'm drawn to like Dark Cloud 2, for example. Sure. You walk into a house. The staircases are enormous. They're super wide. Doors are huge. Ceilings are way the hell up there. Why? Like, yeah. architecturally, nobody would build anything like this because it's a waste of space. But oh, they like did it to trick us into thinking that the game was big and open and grandiose. It's it's kind of like control. Let's make everything out of cement and then shine it to a high sheen and then make these walls <laughs> 75 feet tall. Sir, we're in a staples. Oh, uh, well, you know, <laughs> for artistic purposes, we need to make it like this. <laughs> Okay, I'm not sure how this is like Winnie the Town Hag's house, but all right, (laughs) like that's what we get. (laughs) But, you know, like, again, I I think the legacy of Kane, at least Soul Reaver, I I, interestingly, I went back and I played um, Legacy of Kane Blood Omen, which is the first game in the series. And it's about Kane, Um, Kane becoming the vampire and the game's got two endings. And one of them is the choice to become who you eventually become. But the legacy of Kane Blood Omen was Zelda. Yeah, it was right? a top like, down. Yeah, it was a top down. It looked and played exactly like Zelda. And it was a really good game. So for this one to come along, I don't know, five or six years later and then turn it on its ear and say like, nah, fuck it. We're going to be this, you know, 3D interactive open world and you're going to have action combat was pretty unique. Um, and 
you know, I, I, I thought it was a cool game at the time. My problems with it arise from probably more technical limitations than anything else. You can't get so many characters on the screen. World traversal is a pain in the dick because there's huge sections of the games that you just have to traverse back through for zero reason. Right. Other than the game doesn't know how to give you a portal at that particular point. Um, and you come back and you find out like the thing that you're supposed to do really didn't deserve that 20 hour walk from this side of the map to this side of the map anymore. Well, that's if you know what you're supposed to do at all anyway. Yeah. I beat the first boss and afterwards got the next power up and the, the ethereal voice made a comment about go back to now that brother Malachi or whatever the hell his name is, is dead. Go back to the hall of the gods. I'm like, what the hell's that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And my other favorite thing was they had a section of this game. Was it the catacombs? Did you make it that far? Yeah. So the catacombs had some stuff written on them, and you were to infer, like, all of this lore from the fact that Raziel's name's written on one of these graves. And, like, I remember playing that on the Dreamcast and going, like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And then I played it on the PlayStation 1. I'm like, that fucking says nothing. That (laughs) That is a blur of pixels, sir. (laughs) That is a blur of pixels, and it doesn't say shit. Well, there's another room that that you go into um, right after the first boss where you you now have the ability to, like, press yourself through the grates in your ethereal form. And you're in this room with this giant lion head. And you like, what do you do? And there's these three pillars that just they don't look like you can interact with them at all. Usually in these old games, things that you can interact with are a slightly different color or shiny or shiny up until this point. They have never given you any any indication that you can move anything other than the giant square blocks that they love for every single puzzle. But you need to push all three of these pillars into a certain angle in the center. Yep. One part, like, I had to look up what to do because I'm in this room. I sure. don't know where to go. Little things like that. It, it's, again, it's just a, it's a product of the time. And I think we've advanced well beyond that. And maybe that's me looking back at it with a modern yeah. view instead of at the time, because at the time there was, there was nothing to this game. So it's like, well, we need to make something a little <laughs> obtuse so that they have something to play. Well, and there are parts of that that work, right? Like I, I, for one, like I really appreciated the gate shifting. Um, yeah. I thought that it was really cool. Like when you shifted back to the ethereal plane or whatever the hell it is, like stuff became mildly distorted. I thought that looked really awesome. Um, and like at the end of the day, like this game has a good core story. It's a fucking Amy Henning game. Yeah. Um, like she was, I think she was creative lead or something like that on this game. So it's got meat to it, but it's also spaced out. You would never know it. Like right. for, for you to get from the first boss to the second boss is like six hours. Yeah. And there's no real logical reason for it to progress that long. It's not like you're enamored by, you know, amazing combat. You're just fighting all these bad guys and kind of learning to find your way around. Um, And then you make it to the second boss and it's like, oh, yeah, go back to the first boss. Like, that's where you need to go. Like, what? (laughs) So the the combat itself is. It's unique and it's also really bad. Yeah, because. Yeah, but I mean, it's. It came out, what, opposite the bouncer? It would have. It would have been like a year ahead of the bouncer, Yeah, this game. And nowhere near the depth. <laughs> no. Um, so you play as, as obviously, he plays Raziel, um, who is this vampire creature who can shift, like Zach said, between the ethereal and the, the mortal realm. If for some reason, you don't have a lower jaw. You wear a, a scarf. And when you kill an enemy, you have to 
open your scarf to suck in their soul. So it makes it makes sense, you know, the yeah. context of the game, it makes sense. But you can press R to kind of lock on or like auto, they call it auto face. You can auto face the enemy and then attack them. Some of the enemies, when you attack them, they'll start, they'll go into like a ghost form and then start to run away and you have to, you have to suck them in before they turn back into a normal enemy. Most of the other enemies, you have to find some way to impale them, push them into water or burn them. So I didn't know. So the first time I played through part of it on PlayStation 1 that you could take things off of the wall. Like they have these these lances on the wall that just look like decorations or they have um, torches on the wall. that just like you can pick those up and light people on fire and stab them. Really cool. Hyper violent. Awesome. Uh, Younger Eric would have freaking loved it. But it's very cumbersome, like super, super cumbersome combat. Well, and the camera doesn't work right either. This is this is well before the children. There was a day <laughs> before cameras auto followed you yes. and it gave you manual control of the camera, which is awful. <laughs> well, and that's where the main difference between the, the Dreamcast and the PS1 version come in. I think the PS1 version plays better yeah. because you have camera control on L and R. Well, Dreamcast doesn't no have four Earth shoulder buttons. One. Yeah. So it's tied to the D-pad, which is below your thumb that you're using to move. So unless you want to do this like weird reach your right thumb over and kind of like move the camera around. Plus, it doesn't give you the ability to to invert the axis on the camera. This is one of those where it's like you press right and the camera swings to the left, which yep. that doesn't, you know, make it a, doesn't work in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I well, and to like the auto face thing, I don't think and I played around with this for uh, a couple hours the other night. I don't think the camera or the right one button to you on to an enemy. I think it just holds you facing whatever direction that you're facing. And I yeah, could never prove that because I always had three enemies and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. he's just off here swinging his little lantern, you know, <laughs> like, God damn it. Turn around. Oh, I'm auto facing. But the, the Dreamcast version looks way better oh yeah it's it's a lot cleaner um the audio on it is a whole lot better yep so that's sort of the the definitive version sort of worse which i found really like they're really low res i always took that to mean like oh we just took the playstation version and upscaled them but the dreamcast version actually runs at 640 by 480 if you can believe it um it's an it's an actual resolution not a good one but it's an actual resolution um, and then the uh, PlayStation version runs at like 320 by 240. So there is a huge resolution increase. Interesting. But the FMVs all played, I think, at 320 by 240. And and not for nothing, because this game came out on PlayStation in 99 uh, in like September. And then the Dreamcast version was ported in like February. So they didn't have a lot of time to do any of the porting stuff. Yeah. Or optimizing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is why you still have weird hookups or hiccups with like loading. And oh, by the way, uh, you loaded and now you're over here. What? What? <laughs> In a game that that is reliant on you warping between places when it fucks up, you notice. <laughs> oh, big time. Well, and that's where they needed a map. There's there's literally no map. And yeah. if there is, I didn't find it. No map, no sort of closeted way to tell you which way to go. And again, it's it is a product of its time because Eric's right. It like the narrator is this elder god 
uh, that controls the wheel of time. And he tells you things like as things happen. But if you forget or you didn't hear it or you had your sound turned down for some reason, like that fucking shit's never coming back. You just nope. got to figure out where to go next. <laughs> nope. <laughs> like if somebody interrupts you, you're you're done. I remember that was the thing with uh, oh, some early PlayStation 3 game that I played that a narrator came on and, and started narrating. And if you didn't go do it, it would keep repeating it. And I actually missed that in this game. Like, you need to repeat some of the things that you've said. Because <laughs> I'm over here in the catacomb and you're talking about going over here. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> I didn't do that. So I thought... I thought some of the abilities were cool. Like, I love the ability to, like, throw enemies at the wall and get them stuck on stuff. I would yeah. really like the, uh, hey, you can set them on fire. But again, like, they're so limited in terms of the number of those that you can do. They kind of get feeling old after a while. Yeah, I did enjoy the puzzle aspect of it, too. There was there was definitely some unique. Um, oh, sure. Some yeah. unique areas where you really had to kind of think about uh, the the one I'm drawn to is right before. It was either right before the first or second boss. There was a room that you had to be in your soul form to jump up, get across, and then get into this other room where you had two giant platforms on either side that you had to be in body form in order to get one to to, to fall oh, yeah. down. So you had to solve yeah. a puzzle in that room to drag a block back over, flip it up, open a gate, come back through in soul form, but then get into body form to come back through to find a way back up to jump down on like. Just the difference between soul and body form really made it you know, a little bit of a unique Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, and then flipping the blocks was the other thing that made those puzzles unique. Because there was a bunch of like um, uh, like frescoes on the wall. And they had you know a certain pattern and you had to match it. But in order to do that, you had to flip the blocks around. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Like, I mean, and again, for the time, constraining you know, all the technology, the fact that you were able to work these types of puzzles into a game like this was pretty cool. The development on this game was actually pretty tumultuous. I don't know if you've if you read anything about that because it was done by uh, Crystal Dynamics in conjunction with Silicon Knights, which two powerhouse developers. And and Dennis Dyack once again took his ball and went the fuck home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, but partway through, the relationship dissolved, and. Yeah. They were utilizing Crystal Dynamics is utilizing a lot of Silicon Knights research to develop this game, and Silicon Knights went, "Nah, we're just going to file an injunction, and yep. you need to stop further promoting the game." Um, it, it because of that, there was a ton of material that ended up getting cut, including um, additional yeah. powers, another battle with Kane, uh, a more expanded glyph system, and there um, was another brother, right? I. Th- Think I think so. yeah yeah it was like Tylenol Tylenol or something like that I don't remember but I remember there was supposed to be another brother <laughs> Tylenol <in this> game. <laughs> yes yes dastardly Tylenol <laughs> you have to use the Advil power because <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> again nothing not for nothing this came out of the late nineties it was always going to be vampy and over the top it was surrounded by vampire movies where vampires were all vampy and over the top yes. but like the voice acting does get on your nerves after a while <laughs> thankfully there's not much of it no 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 no, no. there's Kane um, and he's enough <laughs> but if this did enter development right alongside Blood Omen too and yeah. there I, I was reading some interviews with them about you know what was your what was their um, thought process and like their vision when they were developing it. And they were trying to make a game similar to what Tomb Raider was on the PlayStation one. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And they were I don't they actually utilized a modified version of Gex 3's engine. So if you've played Gex 3, obviously this is going to be very similar to that. But um their their goal was to mesh a blend of Tomb Raider with Zelda slash Link to the Past. Or not slash Link, just Zelda Link to the Past. Um they were kind of envisioning this game doing for Soul Reaver what the Zelda series did from Super Nintendo to N64, kind of like that big jump. I will yeah. argue that they didn't achieve it quite as successfully, but no, 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 no. but th- th- there's legs there for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. Yes. I can see why people at the time loved it. It is a good game. It, yeah. it genuinely is like every, when I was playing it and it was functioning, I was enjoying it. The combat, despite being a little clunky was fun. It was unique. It was violent. It was gory. I was back in my eight year old, 10 year old head of like, man, this would have been awesome. I'm going to throw this guy in the spike <laughs> in the wall. I'm going to stab him in the guts and light him on fire. Like it would have been, it would have been awesome, but it has not aged well. No, but I mean, so many games of their time, like if you, okay, I'm going to give you an example of this. Everybody played tomb Raider. Everybody played the shit out of Tomb Raider and likely played Tomb Raider on multiple platforms. Right. Go back and play the original Tomb Raider on PlayStation 1 today. Oh, it's garbage. Me, yeah, it's garbage. It's got tank controls. <laughs> yeah. Tomb Raider 2 was was my jam. I loved sure. that game. I defended it to the death at its time. Everyone's like, your game sucks. I'm like, no, it's freaking great. I think I was more enamored with the triangles on her chest yep, than sure. the actual game itself. Um, but yeah, you're right. They, they don't hold up well. And you kind of got to look back at it with that lens of look at what else was available at the time. Oh, sure. And what else was available at the time was likely garbage, uh, because we were getting sort of towards the end of the PlayStation one's life and like anything and everything that was being thrown out was like, there was a Bruce Willis game. Do you remember that? Like it was, it oh, the fifth element game. Yeah. Is and that what it like, was? Yeah, there were tons of... I think it was Armageddon? Or, or no, it wasn't Armageddon. That was the movie. But it, it, anyway, like, there were a ton of games Oh, that no, no, no. Here it is. Here from. it is. Uh, Apocalypse. Apocalypse, yeah. That game was crap. Yeah, it was hot garbage. But, I mean, this was the era where PlayStation was just throwing anything and everything at the wall because they knew, like, PlayStation 2 was right around the corner. Yeah. Um, and, you know, gone were the days of Metal Gear, gone were the days of, you know, all the amazing Japanese RPGs coming over. Like, this is late life PlayStation 1. And I, I, you know, like to get a game of this caliber in late life PlayStation 1 was pretty epic. I mean, yeah. like it felt really good. And then it came out on Dreamcast and we all realized what shit the PlayStation 1 was. <laughs> Apparently the reviews for Apocalypse were quite positive. Oh, Ugh. Ugh. I there's, remember playing there's that. There's some money not, taken for a good review. <laughs> right? <laughs> that game was garbage. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. What an era, though. I mean, you can't sit back and look at the late 90s and say anything other than this was amazing for the time. Uh, because you had Tomb Raiders. You well, had it was... Legacy of Kane, And I mean, like, these were the games that sort of defined that era. And I think it's right before games really became mainstream. Absolutely. And the PlayStation 1, I think, was a very unique console in that 
it was a true bridge between two others. It still stood on its own as one of the best consoles of all time. Obviously, the PS2 sure. takes that cake. The PS2 undoubtedly is the best console ever created. Yeah. Like yeah. you can't, you cannot dispute that fact. PlayStation One was absolutely incredible because it allowed people to continue developing Super Nintendo games. Yeah, but way better. Like, look at Alundra. Alundra yeah. is oh, yeah. a Super Nintendo game taken to 10 like it's just amplified to a million but then it also did a great job of bridging the gap and getting people ready for what true 3d graphics were going to be when we got to the gamecube the xbox and the ps2 yeah i mean because if you stop and you look at something like the evolution of tekken tekken's you know like it's 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 in my top tier of fighting games right and to look at the PlayStation, the PlayStation put out Tekken 1 on PlayStation, and it looks like Tekken 1 from the arcades, which is not good. No. Uh, you know, like, because it's early 3D games. And then you get to Tekken 3, and you're like, holy shit. You know, like, this is 15, 20 years worth of evolution in the span it's... of under five years. Right. Um, yeah, and then you got to PlayStation 2, and it was like, holy shit, we got Tekken Tag, and that's fucking incredible. Like, Tekken Tag still looks incredible today. Um, and you, you know, you stop and you, you talk about that Tekken tag two for the PlayStation still would hold up today if it were in a higher resolution. And that's like, that's it. That's the game, right? Like, how do you keep people enthralled? How do you start them on a technology? How do you keep them moving through it? And you're right. Being able to develop like super Nintendo like games like Castlevania Symphony of the Night PlayStation one game. Um, and how do you keep them hooked? And that's how you do it. You just keep adding layers and layers and layers to whatever it is you're trying to do. Well, look at what we're doing with current technology. Now people are still enamored with that pixel style, top-down graphic or the, the 2d side scroller, like Axiom Verge or, um, 20 XX, those style of games like that, where it's like, Oh shit, this is in my brain. I was filling in all of these pieces in yeah. my brain as I was playing these games on the Super Nintendo. Now they're just there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because if I think about me playing Zelda, like the original Zelda on my 8-bit Nintendo, I definitely yeah. saw what was in the Super Nintendo version of that. Like, oh, that yeah. was just my brain filling in the gaps. And then you yeah. got Super Nintendo, like, holy shit, this is fucking amazing. Well, like, <laughs> same thing with me and Link's Awakening, too. Sure. I, I only ever played the DMG version. I never played the, the Game Boy Color version. So I didn't get to experience... Link's Awakening DX until we played it for the show in like 2010 or 2011 or something like that, whenever we did it. Um, but when the the remaster, the remake came out, oh, this is what my brain was seeing Yep, as a kid. Yeah. And it was fantastic. It, it, it was absolutely great. And I, I genuinely believe that was the greatest era to be alive for gaming was sure. the mid yeah. to late 90s slash early 2000s. Like we were in our formative years, we had infinite free time. We could experience this coming through. Um, it just it, and and games like Legacy of Kane, I guess, are are another one of those examples that are just they're getting you ready for what's next. Yeah, well, and and that's fair, right? Like, because I can still look back at Legacy of Kane and remember fondly what it was like to play it. I don't really want to play it again. Uh, but but I, you know, I, I definitely remember that era of time as being, you know, and for all the things that you said, like, it was also a good point in my life, um, where I was young, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities, I didn't have a lot of bills and I was just sort of free to play games. I don't know that I'll ever get that back again, 
But this game doesn't make me feel that way. <laughs> no. No, there are a lot of games it's, that even though they there's suck. There's a lot of games I, that will, but not yeah. this one. No. <laughs> there, there's a lot of games that suck that I look back at and be like, man, I, I love playing it, even if it's trash. But that's looking back at it and and leaning very heavily on the nostalgia. Like, sure. I, like Parasite Eve. Great game. Oh, yeah. Doesn't really hold up well, but nah. I still love it because I'm thinking about the time in my life. Jumping that, Flash is another one. Yeah. That was amazing at the time. You could, but like you go back and you play it now, and you're like, I'm a robot rabbit in a weird 3D world where my job is just to wander around and pick up carrots. Okay. Like, and you play it and it doesn't make sense anymore, right? No. It doesn't, you know, and the, the whole aspect of it being in 3D is just kind of worn thin. And and I say that about a lot of PlayStation games. One of my favorite games used to be Battle Arena Tension and and that game has like four or five sequels that are all, you know, very iterative, but very good. And I get to the end of it and I'm like, but the best iteration of this was still nothing compared to Tekken. You know, like, right. <laughs> we've moved on. <laughs> yeah, it's I miss that time. Like, I still look at my PS1 collection very fondly. And just, I do. Like, there's, there's, but then I look at it and go, man. 90% of those are RPGs. It's not yeah. like I can just pick one of these games out and pop it in. Like, I just want to roll for a few minutes. Yeah, my, uh, uh, you can't do any of that with the PlayStation. Like, I don't know when we got, like, the games that were immediately available that made you feel like, oh, I'll just put this in and play it for five minutes. But it was not in the PlayStation 1 era. Dude, the load times to get from just the whole splash screen into the game for Legacy of Kane are, like, two and a half minutes. Like, there was no pickup and play. <laughs> better on the dreamcast yeah i could see that but definitely i guess of the playstation 2 era it was probably better but i feel like well, I, I spent a lot of my young life listening to the playstation's load <laughs> well that's where i think the playstation was that era where we went from games just being a, a quick little like i was gonna hop in and play like think about arcades yeah. you wouldn't go to an arcade to play an rpg you wouldn't go to an arcade to play a game that had a story or a long, you know, a, a long expose. You go to have a quick experience and then just pop it off. Like that's why I think there's that generational divide where where adults at the time looked at it as like, well, it's just a waste of time. Like Alien or uh, Space Invaders. Oh yeah. Okay, it's just it's just doing this and coming out or Pac Man. There's no point to it. You're just passing time. Yeah. And PlayStation, obviously, Super Nintendo did it with um, the introduction of RPGs and things like that. But then you look at stuff like. Ghosts and Goblins or Super Ghouls and Ghosts, where it's like, this is just a, yeah, it's a long game, but you could quickly hop in and play two or three levels and be yeah. like, okay, I'm good. But PlayStation 1 started to get to that point now where it's like, okay, now this is a story. This is a, yeah. a, a sprawling game. Uh, granted, they still did have a few of those just quick pick up and go things, but we seem to have kind of lost that and everything now is, how long is it? Yeah. Well, and I mean, I guess that's where games like Vampire Savior uh, or Survivor come in. <sighs> On Xbox, God. like, uh, yeah, I Tom I, I, should not have recommended that to me and Dan. Yeah, I had to uninstall it. Like, I don't need that much pick up and play ability in my life. <laughs> it's quite it's literally unhealthy. Now. It's huh. unhealthy. Yeah, how addicting that game is. Yep, I agree. If and, you want a game that you can play while you're surfing your phone, yep, play Vampire Survivors. And it's good, right? Like, I don't have any qualms with it. Like, it's an absolutely good game. But I will sit there and play that for 20 hours and not even realize that, like, the sun right. has come up. 
and right. just be lost in it for days. At a and time. all you've done is move your left thumb and occasionally pressed A. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, oh yeah, 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 I'm doing it. Yeah. Well, and when yeah, yeah, when I'm Tom when good. I first played it, the the first couple times I ran through, I thought, why the hell is this on Tom's? Like, what the? F- <laughs> There's nothing here. And then I started unlocking stuff. And went, oh, oh yeah, this is here where it we yeah. go. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and I'm that way with lots of games. I, I just need games with a discernible start and a discernible finish if I'm going to play them in, at that like addictive tier. Like I started playing um, Hi-Fi Rush this week, yeah, which is so good. really good. Yes, it's a really good Where the fuck did game. that game come from? Nowhere. That game came from, oh God, who was it? It was like the same minds that brought you like Blade 2. Like, no, it's made... Evil Dead, Evil Within. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The team yeah, that yeah. did well, Evil Within. Yeah, it's the Evil Within folks. Um, and they just made this game that's this very music centric beat rush and it's great. Uh, but that game's got to start and it's got to finish so I can play it all the way through. If you give me a game like and and I'll, I'll say it like to a lesser degree, it's the same way with WoW. Like I'll sit there and play the World of Warcraft endlessly for two days because I'm just grinding stuff. And at the end of it, I'm like, yeah. oh, good, I ground this and I ground that. But then I don't have like a stop mechanism in my brain that makes me halt. <laughs> no. And I think that maybe that's why I pick up start and stop games so frequently, because you're right. There is a very clear point in which, OK, now I'm through the beginning of this and I'm into the game. Yeah. And once I once I hit that, I can't pull back on the stick like I'm driving this fucker into the ground. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here till the end. And then I get on the ultimate like awful kick of like, I'm here to the end and I'm going to 100 percent anything, which See, is just I an thankfully exercise don't have that. Yeah. I, I get that in some games. Like I started playing. Um, oh, gosh, what was it? It was something earlier this week that I, I, it was just like a nothing throwaway on Xbox. But I realized I had like 97 percent of the. Oh, it was um, uh, the I'll never remember the name now. It was a stupid little Zelda like that came out about a year ago. Um, but I started oh, playing Tunic. It. Yeah, Tunic. Um, and I started playing it and then I'm like, oh, I'm at 97% of the achievements. Oh, I'll just go ahead and get those. Like, I, I, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got to draw the line. The game's somewhere. so fucking cute. I'm like, no, I can't. I can't do that. <laughs> that's, that's not going to be me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have any questions. Actually, we did have one question or comment. Uh, oh, dear God. I, I accidentally just closed it. Um, let me pull it back up here. I think it was from Mark Marcheshi. Let me see. Yes, he said, would you rather be a vampire or a soul reaver? Whatever that actually is. (laughs) Is there a difference? I feel like the life of a soul reaver is definitely more awful (laughs) because the whole world's gone. At least the vampires have the world to live in. Yeah, but then you don't have to worry about sucking blood. Yeah, yeah. All you have to do is pull down your scarf and, you know, like inhale it through your imaginary jaw. I'll go with the Soul Reaver because you can phase in and out. All right. Fair enough. I'll go vampire because I believe in living in a world worth living. (laughs) Um, There was somebody who had posted something on our Facebook group, factorysealed.com slash group slash factory sealed podcast. Wes Rainey did a IPS screen mod on his GBA. Oh, man. Brought brought the tingles back. Um, the form factor. A, the form factor is so fucking good. <laughs> it it is like just looking at that again. So you and I both have the analog pocket. Um, I, I I have put 
an unhealthy amount of time into that console. It, yep. it has become just my sitting on the couch, hanging out, uh, laying in bed console. I played all of Lufia 2 on there. It's great for just picking up random games. But that form factor sucks for people with big hands. It's yeah, especially the the back awful. buttons, the triggers or whatever. They're supposed to be like the top buttons, I guess. Yeah, you, like, you got to like eh. claw yeah, down like, on them. I'm hooking and trying not to move my cartridge at the same time, you know, yeah. like. <laughs> which got me thinking. Why didn't they do this form factor for the analog pocket? I don't know. Uh, and I'm kind of like on the fence about like what it's really meant to be. I don't think when they designed the analog pocket, they ever intended to like open it up to like ROMs and like hacking and all that. So they just wanted to produce a good Game Boy. And remember, it's only Game Boy, Game Boy Color and a Game Boy Advance. So I think right. that's what they were thinking. But like, yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> we right. need a version two. <laughs> I'll buy a whole like if they release an analog pocket two in that form factor, I'll buy a whole nother one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, for sure. That form factor, the the original Game Boy Advance is the pinnacle of handhelds just in terms of comfortability. Yeah. And as long as you didn't have a big fucking lamp hanging over it, it was great. Yeah. Like that that was the only problem with the original uh, the Game Boy Advances was that they didn't come with a backlight. Uh, So you had to contract (laughs) whatever it was you wanted to light it with. Go sit in the direct sunlight. Yeah, uh, sit in the direct sunlight. Try not to go blind. Have a nice day. <laughs> but that mod, if you want to experience the best that Game Boy has to offer, I'm all for mod or for ROMs. I think it's it's great. But you lose something in the resolution and the scaling and all of that yeah. stuff. And I think the IPS screen does a good job of preserving the original aspect uh, and presentation of the games and how they're supposed to be but man just playing it on that form factor they're just they're so great that ips mod it's like 70 bucks to do all of it it's just so great yeah and i think there is something special to you know like engineering that yourself right and and coming through and saying like i fucking did that you know that that there isn't a sense of accomplishment there and you can carry it around and show it to your friends and then go i want it and go fuck you you know like that's what you do So that works whenever people come to visit. I've got all my handhelds on on display and they see the original Game Boy. They're like, oh, my God, I had one. I had one of those when I was young. Not like this one. And I pop a game in and fire it up and the big backlight comes on. I'm like, oh, my God. Just neat things like that where. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's great to have OG hardware. But it's also great to have OG hardware that's playable. Yeah. OG hardware plus. Well, especially in the handheld space. Like I would I would argue that really nothing that's been released handheld before the pocket uh, really holds up. Maybe the PSP, maybe the Vita. Uh, but like when you play them on pocket, it's a totally different experience. All the Game Boy, all the Game Boy Advance games, like they all yeah. look much, much better. My next ugh, my next mod that I really want to do is I want to get a backlight for my Wonder Swan. Oh, that'd be cool. Which. Do I need it? No, no. <laughs> Do I now want it? I, yeah. I do. Uh, now watch as I get you into turbo graphics and make you buy a turbo express that you have to backlight mod. <laughs> no, see, uh-uh, you're not going to do that because we've got the turbo graphics adapter for the pocket coming. I know, but still it'll call you. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, maybe shit. I actually, I loaded up and I have, I have to test it this week. Um, but I loaded up a ROM set that, um, has early leavings of turbo CD, 
um, that will actually play Turbo CD games. And that'll oh, limit shit. how many you can keep because those games are, you know, 650 mega piece. Yeah. Uh, but to play like Ease or Valis on that oh. handheld is my Xanadu. Like, that's what I want in my life. Because <laughs> I remember being very young and having a Turbo Express. Yeah. Uh, Do you and, still have yours? Uh, no, mine died, uh, oh. sadly. Um, and I mean, like it got run over by a car. So like I had a Viking funeral. There was a whole thing, but, <laughs> um, the turbo express actually, um, was a really, it was a decent screen for the size and had good pixel density, but you could hook it up to the CD drive and run those CD games on it. And they fucking looked and sounded amazing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to need that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so i i don't know i i i'm, I'm on the fence because i don't really like i i i actively encourage people to go after emulation but i don't necessarily like to like download roms and stuff like that i'd rather just grab them for my own stuff uh but yeah the the cd-rom games on the analog pocket would be nice uh, be and because nice. most of mine i own um, yeah. and because i you know again like i just fucking love those games i'm actually in the market for a uh a set of turbo graphics cards that play through the regular turbo graphics that allow me to play some of the arcade games. Ooh. Uh, so <laughs> here I come. Mocon. You know, like, <laughs> Mocon's not that far away. I know. I know. I'm, I'm hoping I get a job and can get some time off and can come up, but I'm, uh, I'll definitely try and be there. I'm, I'm okay. definitely working towards it. I've got, I've, I've got a couple things on my Mocon list this year that are like, they're they're expensive and they're dastardly, but I've got some other items on the list that I've seen at MoCon before that I'm like, yeah, I need to go ahead and pick those up, and they ought to be some pretty big wins. Yeah, yeah, I think for me, MoCon this year will be uh, more quality, less volume. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, we did the volume years, right? Like we had years where we went and spent <laughs> and got hundreds of games, and then came back and went like, oh, I don't have any fucking thing else to play. Now I got to put but, this on uh, the shelf. Yeah, I did. It's it's shelf pleasers. But yeah. I'm 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 very interested. There's a couple of really high quality games that I'd like to a- attain, and then there's a couple of just weird offshoot things. Like I I am disgusted by the fact that I didn't just buy that Panasonic Q last year. I, that, I hate yeah. myself for not buying it. And it was I like, didn't expect that guy to be like, eh, two thousand bucks. Yeah, I should have oh, bought it. Should have. So I'll I'll buy one this year. Um, and then I'd really, I know I passed it up and it kills me, but I would really like to have an all in one Coleco TV, uh, because yeah, the fucking Coleco vision was amazing. <laughs> you passed that up too. And he only wanted a few hundred bucks for it. He wanted a hundred dollars for it. And it came with the entire set of games. Yeah. And I was like, no, I can't get it back. And I'm such an idiot. <laughs> you should have just given it to Ben and held it yeah. here. Yeah. It could be there for two years and I'll never see it. Yeah. Like my Castlevania bloodlines. <laughs> Do you still have that? Yeah, I'm sure. I live <laughs> 10 miles from him and he I still have stuff that he needs to pick up or I need to drop off. So it, yeah. it goes. <laughs> uh, it's OK. Like it's just, I, I, I actually I like classify that in my vault like, oh, Ben's got that. Oh, it's safe. It'll be fine. <laughs> it's, it's all right. He's got insurance on it. So um, two weeks from now, we'll be doing our next side quest show, which we're going to be just before the launch of PSVR 2. So that kind of that kind of stinks. But uh, we'll just be chatting about whatever the hell we're playing at the time. I'll probably be chatting a little bit more about my experience with uh, Star Wars. Is there anything major that comes out between now and then? Oh, Hogwarts. We're probably talking about Hogwarts. Hogwarts. Yeah, yeah. we can talk about Hogwarts. I'll yeah. be there for that. 
Um, and and then, I, again, I'm going to try not to play Hogwarts, but I'm going to watch the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, because if you play it, you're going to get hooked. And then before you know it, you'll yep. beat it. You're like, get out of here, kid. This is my game. <laughs> um, but then uh, a month from now for our next game of the week, we're kind of in limbo at the moment. And it's it's a toss up right now between two games. Um, we're, we're leaning towards Alien Hominid or hmm. Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. So... Kind of oh, I'd two, play either one of those. <laughs> two ends of the spectrum. Revengeance will be eligible for the show. Literally. Oh, no, not on the day because we don't record it in two weeks. But it, it's eligible on February 19th of this month. Like, I, 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 I that's alarming. That. That, yeah, that, I could probably yeah. get behind that. Oh, God. I'm going to have to get my fucking cane out. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Alien Hominid is such a, a neat game. I mean, if people don't. Uh, if people don't know, that was one of the first, first in quotations, but one of the first large independently developed games that was released on a major console because it was created um, by Behemoth Games for Newgrounds, the website. That's and it was right. just a Flash animation game that just took off. Like, I remember Alien Hominid playing the Flash version of it on my computer at oh, school. Man, like, yeah. This is fantastic. And then it got released on GameCube and PS2 and just here we go. Yeah, I think I have the GameCube version somewhere. I had to play that. I haven't played that again probably since it was in Flash, but I remember it coming to the GameCube and being very excited about it. So I'd like to play that. It's I'd also like to play Revengeance because Slicing Bitches Up is like life. That game. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember how violent that game is? It's so it's good. It's real violent. I've never played through all of it. But <gasps> I... Oh, yeah, that's the truth. We'll probably we'll probably err on that side. Um, but it's kind of a toss up between those two. Dan really wants to play Lord of the Rings third age, but I think we're going to overrule him because we don't all have infinite free time. Yeah, that's that's going to have to be the summer game. And I should start. Playing He's that still now. banging on about Lost Odyssey for some reason. Oh, for fuck's sake. Why? why? I don't know. He wants to just <laughs> consume our life. That game's like 60 hours long. Yeah. So a solid weekend for him. <laughs> uh, Dan, Dan, Dan. Dan and your Damn, clever knack for beating games in two days. Yeah. It's just watches them on YouTube at two and a half times speed. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll, I'll get ready. I'll play both of those. How about that? And I'll be ready for whatever <laughs> contingency. We'll have an answer for you here soon, but uh, yeah, that's, that's it for this week. Um, if you have any other suggestions that we should play, hit us up on our Facebook or I don't I'm, I don't even send out the email anymore. So no, nah, no, no, no. You know where to find us. Find us. Yeah, you can, we're out there. It's the Internet. Find us. Just don't be weird. This episode of Factory Sealed is brought to you by our wonderful Patreon sponsors, with an extra special thank you to Zach Foley, Santos Lopez, Samuel Chun, John Weaver, Miles Prower, Jordan Lawfrey, Stephanie, Richard Cutris, Jason McGill, Colin Neblo, Juliet Breslin Romano, Dalton Souter, Gus Robin, Aaron Lanning, Brandon Meyer, Hesley Hattie, Cheaper Gamer, Cody Halverson, Robert True, Julian Santuki, J.H., Thomas Roderick, 
in Kevin Loth.